So as we come to our, our last of our four weeks of Advent, this morning we'll be finishing up our, our four-week series on the theme of home, uh, the theme of tracing the, the idea of home throughout the scriptures. And this morning we'll be looking at a new aspect in just a moment. But let me just open with a story. I, I saw this story told this week. It's a story about the elephant in the hole. Uh, and it's a story from Africa, I believe, um, a legend. And it's a, it's a man who is trying to catch an elephant to, to feed his family. And this is a, a part of Africa. And so, uh, again, I was like you. I don't know how you catch an elephant. What's, how do you go about doing that? But the story goes that this man dug a giant hole in the middle of the jungle where the elephants were, big enough so that if an elephant were to fall in, he could capture it. So he dug a big hole and then put a, put a covering over the top and then camouflaged it in the hopes that an elephant would come and fall in. And he hid in the woods and he waited and he waited and he waited to see if an elephant would come. And sure enough, a giant elephant came and fell right into his trap, Poof, into the hole, he goes. There's the elephant. And then he said, I have a problem because I don't know how to get the elephant out of the hole now. Elephants are pretty big creatures. How do you get an elephant out now? And so he figured out that he couldn't do it all by himself. He didn't have the strength to do it, nor does any one person. So he went into the village and he enlisted the help of as many villagers as possible. He said, come, I've caught an elephant, but I need help getting it out. So we got all these folks from the village to come. They all came out to the hole. They found the elephant and they started one by one pulling their weight to get the elephant out. And right as they're about to get the elephant out of the hole, the people started clapping and celebrating. They said, we did it. Let's all feast with the elephant now. And the man who caught the elephant said, wait, 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 wait. I caught the elephant. And the people said, no, no, no. We helped get it out. And he said, no, no, no. I caught the elephant. And they said, okay. And so they let the elephant go back down into the hole. And so the man says, no, 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 no. I need your help. I need your help. And so they said, okay, we'll help you out. And they do the same thing again. And they did this over and over this dance of who really, whose elephant is this? And finally, the man uh, just realized that he had to leave the elephant there because he wouldn't give up the humility of letting others partake in what he found. So this is the season of Advent, the season of longing, the season of arrival, the season of anticipation of the birth of Christ, the Messiah, and we've been in that place of longing now for four weeks. And we're almost there, friends. We're almost to Christmas Day. But we have one more thing to look at this morning as we trace this theme of home, this theme of, of arrival uh, in, the, in the Bible. So for the last three weeks, we've been looking at different aspects of home throughout the scriptures. You remember three weeks ago, we looked at, we, be, we began at the end with heaven and said that the birth of Jesus transforms that longing of Advent into hope, into a home. And then we looked at the Garden of Eden, the very first place of humanity where they lived, and we said that the birth of Jesus fulfills all these notions of nostalgia, of this idea of what we want to go back to the way things used to be, or back to our first home. And then last week we looked at Bethlehem, the famous birthplace of Jesus, his first home, and we said that the birth of Jesus invites us inside 
And he invites us inside by coming to us on the outside. And this morning, we're going to look at the last one, the last theme of home, which I invite you to turn to John chapter 14. We're going to look at just one verse this morning. Again, in your worship guide, you have a printed uh, sheet of paper that has John 14 verse 23 on it. And again, we're just going to look at that one verse. We're just limiting ourselves just to one verse of scripture each week. This week, it's John 14, 23. And I want you to hear what we're going to look at this morning. John 14, 23, it says, Jesus answered him. Judas is who he's answering. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. So you see why I'm preaching from this text. Because of the promise of home that Jesus is inviting each of us to today. So this morning, the last home we're looking at is Jesus himself. Because if Jesus is who he says he is, then that means in him we can find the truest home of all. So the idea this morning is that the birth of Jesus, in addition to everything else we've already talked about these last three weeks, the birth of Jesus introduces us to something profound itself. And it's something each of us long for, each of us desire. Some of us have felt, some of us still have. But the birth of Jesus introduces us truly to love. Love itself. The birth of Jesus is the face-to-face introduction to love. And that's what we're going to investigate this morning together. So first, the introduction to love the person. Jesus of Bethlehem, who later moved to Nazareth, who later came to Jerusalem to die on the cross, is love in the flesh. Jesus is love. Man, again, if I'm going to ask this question, I feel like I have to start singing the song. So I, I, I don't know if I want to ask this question, but what is love? I'm not going to sing that song to you this morning. What is love? And this is something that, that every person asks, including musicians, but also the church and also people. We ask, what is love? Because it's really hard to define. Maybe some words or images or feelings are coming to mind for you. I'll just name a few. Sacrifice, care, loyalty, selflessness, commitment, depth. Maybe it's an, an abstraction of some sort. Maybe it's just undefinable. Maybe it's a feeling. Maybe it's something intangible that you can't quite grasp. But what is love? I don't, I don't have a definition for you. I'm not, that's, that's not my job this morning is to define what love is. I'm not a love expert. Um, but love is something we all long for. And I think it's, it's something that presses on us in the Christmas season as we long for home, as we long for Christmas, as we long for meaning. Love is right there in the center of it, whatever we define love as. But let me just, let me just read a bunch of scripture to you for just a moment to talk about how the truest love in the world is a person, Jesus. Let me just read how the scriptures talk about love and the person of Christ. 1 John 4, 7 to 9. 
Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What is the Christmas story? It is God sending Jesus into the world. And 1 John says, that's how we know what love is. That's how we know that how God made manifest love is that he sent Jesus into the world. He sent love to us, and love is a person. Here's a couple more. 1 John 3.16. Not John 3.16. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Romans chapter 5. This is from Paul. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then maybe my favorite, Ephesians chapter 2. The first couple of verses talk about how we're dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, how we follow the, the course of this world and we find ourselves lost. But God, verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Just amazing. And then Colossians 1, 15 to 20, talks about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creations. In him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, including his love. If God is love, and if Jesus has all of God in him, that means that Jesus is full of God's love. And when he's born as a baby, that is love in the flesh. And through Jesus to reconcile to God all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, Jesus is love. He is love with skin on. Or as Thomas Goodwin says, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Let's just, let's begin with that beautiful truth this morning. That when we long for love, we can see love in a baby who's born in Bethlehem. A baby who grows up in the knowledge of the Lord. A boy who becomes knowledgeable in the scriptures because that's his purpose. Who teaches the mysteries of God and ultimately who lays down his life and shows us what love is because he is love. The fullness of God is in Jesus. The introduction to love is the introduction to the person of love, the person of Jesus. And so I just, I turn it to you because again, preaching is not a, it's not a lecture. It's not a three-point outline for you to take home and memorize. Sermon preaching is, is an involvement with God himself of worshiping him through his word. And so I ask you the question, are you searching this morning for love? Are you longing for it? Are you grasping for it? And if you are, look no further than the newborn baby Jesus. Not the place of Bethlehem, 
not the manger, not the the sentimentality of the season, not the circumstances even of his birth, not even the story of his birth itself, which we read. Just the person, just the baby, just the skin of this person who is love himself. As one poet says, Seek not in courts, nor palaces, nor royal curtains draw, but search the stable, see your God extended on the straw. God is love. Jesus is God introducing love to us as a person. That's the first point. Second point, in terms of introducing love to us, let's be introduced this morning to love that compels us. You see, love, again, I don't know much about love. (laughs) I'm just, I'm trying to learn with you here by looking at the person of Christ. Love does not stay stagnant. That's one thing I know. Love does not just happen and then sit still like like a placid pond or something. Love is moving. Love is active. Love draws. Love creates. Love grows. And the love of Jesus compels us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, that is the love of Christ that compels us. But compels us to what? That's my question. So if you look at John 14, 23, so it says, Jesus says, if anyone loves me, what will he do? He will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You see what the love of Christ compels us to? is joyful obedience, joyful keeping, joyful guarding of this precious treasure that is the Holy Scriptures that he's given to us. You see, the more we see Jesus for who he truly is, the more we want to obey him and his word. Now, why would that be the case? Why would, why would obedience be something that we want to do? Sometimes obedience can feel constraining or trapping, like you're in a prison, like I have to do this thing. But you see, when you love Jesus, you love him and you love what he does. Frederick Beekner says, he says, once we have seen Jesus in a stable, we can never be sure where he will appear or to what lengths he will go or to what ludicrous depths of self-humiliation he will descend in his wild pursuit of you and me. Once we see him become a human and take on skin, what would God not do to show his love for us? God became a baby. He became a baby to show us love himself so that we might be compelled to be different, so that we might be compelled to to look at his word and keep it. And so when it says, keep my word, those who love me keep my word, Let's, let's, let's ask ourselves about what, is, what does this mean to keep? And I'll ask you, this, this, this word here means obey or guard, or you can think of it just in that word, keep. What are some things that you keep? What are some things that you guard or things that you want to obey? Let's think of things together that, that make you want to keep things. And so I thought of a few things here for myself. You know, we, most of us today obey the laws of the land because we think it's a good thing. But why? Why do we want to obey the laws of the United States? And I think ultimately it's because you and I believe in the direction of the country, that we believe in this experiment of democracy or this experiment of freedom. 
And so because of that, you see a law and he says, okay, I'm going to obey that because I think it has good intentions in mind. I want to believe in that. Or think about keeping. What are things that you keep? Maybe even what's a, what's a keepsake that you have? I, I love to keep things. I'm a, I'm a trinket guy, which drives Sarah crazy. Uh, I love to, to keep things. I, I want to put this up on a shelf because it reminds me of something, like a, a treasured family possession. Um, so I'm, I'm wearing a watch right now, which is my grandfather's watch, which was from the 1950s. And I keep it and I wear it because it's a reminder of my family and my grandfather. It's a keepsake. It's something you don't want to lose. It's something you treasure. Or you think about, you know, we saw children up here. Or we teach them to obey their parents. Why? Because they love you and you love them. People that love Jesus keep his word. And people that love Jesus want or are compelled to keep his word. We could just stop there and say, okay, let's keep his word if you love him. But before we go further, let's think of what it means to keep his word. Think about all that Jesus taught. So in, the, in, the, in, the, in this calendar year, we went through one of the Gospels of Jesus, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we learned a lot about what Jesus taught, a lot of his words, a lot of the things that he, he saw as, as necessary. And there's a lot of things that Jesus taught. And Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep it. You will, you will stay close to it. So let's just, let me give you just a couple of things that Jesus taught. When Jesus first started his ministry, he opened up a scroll from Isaiah and he read from it. And it says, I have come to proclaim liberty to the captives, to preach good news to the poor, to release those who are bound. And Jesus says today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And he basically says, I expect you to do the same thing, to be for for the slaves, to be for the poor, to be for the oppressed. Jesus holds us to that standard. Or think about the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers. Those are things that Jesus expects us to keep if we love him, because that's how life is supposed to go. That's, that's what life is meant to be like. The Sermon on the Mount really is flipping everything upside down. He's like, what you normally think as powerful, actually it's the meek who will inherit the earth. Think about the upper room discourse. Right before Jesus dies on the cross, he takes all of his disciples to the upper room. They do the, the Last Supper, but he also is teaching them a lot in that section, John 13 to 17. And he's teaching them how to pray. He's teaching them how to love one another, how to wash each other's feet, how to sacrifice yourself for the needs of others. And then think about what Jesus showed us by going to the cross, sacrifice, death, pain, leaving others for the sake of following him. And then finally, the Great Commission, when Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus expects us to keep that. And he says, teaching the world to obey all that I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You see, hearts that are on fire for Jesus follow him and want to know more about him. Just last night, uh, we were after the piano concert. I was talking with a few folks and um, you know, talking to someone who's been doing some work overseas, uh, doing Bible translation work. And she was explaining how uh, some of the people that she's getting to help translate the Bible into this local language 
are not Christians. They're just people that know the language really well. And so she was employing them to help translate the Bible into this language. And, uh, and so this has been years of process, trying to translate you know, a Bible into a, a local language. And she was saying, you know, day after day, they're reading the Bible. They're not necessarily Christians, but they're reading the Bible, translating. And she told a fascinating story, an exciting story last night of a, one of the translators who just put their faith in Christ because they kept reading what the Word of God said. And they said, I see it. I get it. I trust in it now. That's the power of God's Word to save lives, to change, to transform us. You know, there's, there's a book that I'm reading with someone in our church who's uh, explaining, uh, it's, a, it's a pastor who's explaining his conversion story. He said he grew up in a tough neighborhood in New York and saw some really difficult things and kind of stopped going to church while he was a teenager, but came back because he was dating a girl at the church. So that's what brought him back to the church. He said, but I, the, the, the pastor preached a sermon on Ezekiel 34, the Valley of Dry Bones, which is the story of the dry bones that slowly in this vision, God puts skin on these bones and they begin to come to life and they, they begin to walk around. It's this big metaphor that God is showing the people of Israel for new life. And this, this pastor said, it was that story that grabbed me and then I couldn't get enough of reading God's word. Every day I just had to read more and more because I saw the love of Christ to make new life out of something dead. And it changed my life. That's what God's love does, is it, it, it makes you find joy in the obedience to his word because this is the treasure of life. Just think about people throughout history who have given their lives, either literally or just like they've dropped one thing to follow after Jesus because of what he says, because of what he promises in his word. That's what love does. When you see love as a person, love compels us to keep his word. Last point. We've been introduced to love as a person, love that compels us. Now I think this is the best one. Love that lasts. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. There is nothing more painful in our world than when love is lost. Broken promises, broken covenants, broken hearts. During this time of year, you see a lot of commercials. Um, and there's one famous commercial by the diamond company De Beers that says a diamond is forever. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Only God's love is forever. The diamond is a reflection of what we hope to be forever, an eternal love. But only God's love is forever. I think about today how quickly people pick up and move. Very, very seldom do people in my generation stay in one place for a very long time. We're very transient people. People pick up and move quickly. It's kind of countercultural now to stay in one place and to commit. People don't develop homes or fall in love with places because oftentimes they just don't stick it out enough. When something bad happens, they move on. And it's the same with relationship as well. We have people that come in and out of our lives and it's painful when people leave us, when people let us down because we're longing for that love that lasts or that love for a place that lasts. You see, Jesus doesn't just give good advice when it comes to love. He gives promises. He gives these two will statements. When he says will, that's a promise. 
And the promises here that he gives is that if you love me and keep my word, my father will love you and we will come to you and make our home with you. The promise of lasting love. My father will love him. I I learned this week that back in the 90s, you could rent a VHS tape called Rent a Friend. I hope none of you did this. If you did, I hope you're past it by now because you can always find your friends here. But you could rent a VHS tape called Rent a Friend and you put in the VHS tape and it's this man who just starts talking to you to be a friend. Jesus' love is not anything like that. Jesus, rather, is the key to the door of God's heart, unlocking his fullness to us, a real, close, loving relationship, the guaranteed covenantal love of God. God is the true father, friend, brother, savior that all of us have longed for. He will never leave you. If you love him and you keep his word, he will never leave you. That's his promise. He will sacrificially care for you forever. Think about the promise of community that Jesus offers here. He says, if you love me and keep my word, not only will my father love you, but we will come to you. Who is the we here? The father, Jesus. And then right after this, he starts talking about the Holy Spirit. This is the whole Trinity coming and moving into your house to live with you. Your deepest desire for community is met in the triune God. We will come to him. We will be with you. When you're thinking about home, uh, this is the deepest fulfillment of what home is, a, a place of loving community. You know, may, maybe some of you have, have read the translation of the Bible called The Message before, which I think for certain parts of Scripture really unlock the, the, pas- the, 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 the passion of Scripture. But John 1.14 in the Message version reads like this. It says, The Word became flesh and blood, and moved into our neighborhood. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he moved into the neighborhood of humans. And when you love Jesus, the whole Trinity, the fullness of who God is, moves into your heart, and there home is. The community you're being invited into is the inner life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what will he do? He will make our home with him. He'll make it. The word there is this construction word of building or doing or renovating. He's literally coming into your heart, into your home, into your soul, and beginning this glorious renovation project to make your house the most beautiful version it could possibly be. Maybe you watch HGTV and watch all these home makeovers that they do on these TV shows, and you say, wow, I wish I, I, wish I lived in a house like that. It had a beautiful kitchen or a new patio or all these new appliances. And why do you long for that? It's because your heart is longing for that, to have the renovation of your heart that the triune God himself can provide you. We will make our home with you, Jesus says. If you love me and you keep my word. You see, the house search is over if you love Jesus because home is with him. So we've talked about places over these last four weeks, Bethlehem, Eden, even heaven. But, you know, I think about, you know, Dr. Seuss says, oh, the places you'll go. I think about the places we've been, the places you've lived, maybe even the, you know, the experiences you've gone through. 
But I, I think about all the different things in Scripture, the places where God's people have lived. God's people lived in the desert. They lived in the wilderness. They lived in tents for a season. Several stories of people living in prison, people like Joseph and Peter and Paul. God's people lived in exile and enemy lands. People like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, the prophets. They were in places like Babylon and Assyria. You have guys like, like John, who we read earlier, who gets exiled to a, a faraway island. He's on the island of Patmos, exiled because of his faith. You have people like Daniel, who were living in a lion's den. Think about the homes that the people of God had. And even Jesus himself said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to live. Jesus was homeless. There are a lot of different types of homes. Maybe you live in a big house. Maybe you live in a small house. Maybe you're in between places. Maybe you don't really have a sense of home. And what I'm saying is ultimately, while home does bring comfort and joy and it's necessary, Jesus is our ultimate home. He is our heart's desire, our heart's home. St. Augustine says, Our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Jesus is the one home for our soul. That when we see the birth of Christ, we see home in its fullness. Because it comes to us. He comes to us. Let me close with this quote. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Heavenly Father, during this season we long for home, you promised to make your home with us. Lord, I pray today that we might see Jesus for who he truly is, love in the flesh who compels us and who invites us into your fullness, a love that lasts forever. Lord, what a glorious feeling and truth that is. So I pray for that, for us as a church, that we would find our dwelling place in you, as Psalm 90 says. Draw our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.